Well, good morning. Well, this morning we're going to be wrapping up our uh, vision series, and just a little sneak peek for next week, not only is it open house, but we're going to be uh, jumping into a new series called Asking for a Friend. Uh, You know all those questions that you have, but you feel like you're not allowed to ask, or you don't want to ask because you don't want to let anybody know that you have, and so you say, I'm asking for a friend. We're going to be talking about those, Um, so I'd encourage you to bring a friend, um, and uh, you could use those open house invites for that. But in this vision series, we've been uh, looking at who we are as a church, our our core values, and and Josh shared with us uh, where Bridgewater Church as a whole, where God is leading us, and and Matt kind of contextualized that for us here in Halstead. Where is God moving And how can we follow him? And in this series, as we've looked at our core values, what we've really been doing for you is describing what it looks like to consistently and to fully follow Jesus. We talked about how each one of us, as a follower of Jesus, um, has a next step to take in becoming more like him. We talked about how life is better connected, how we need each other in this pursuit of Jesus, and how really following Jesus means that we're bringing other people along into the grace and the peace and the joy that we have found in a relationship with him. We're, we're outward focused. We're helping others see. We're saying, hey, look what I've found in Jesus. That's what it means to consistently and to fully follow him. But here's the thing. I think there can be this temptation to think that If we do all of these things, then life is just going to kind of be easy and things are going to work out well for us. I think there can be a temptation to think that as we follow Jesus, there won't be any trials or difficulties or struggles. We feel like, you know, we're walking with God, we're doing what we should be doing, and so we're not going to face hardship or difficulty. We think that maybe our lives will be free of hassle and hardship, our relationships are going to be easy and fun all of the time. But if you've walked with Jesus for more than maybe 30 seconds, you've probably realized that that just isn't reality. That's just not the truth. That's not what it looks like to walk with him. If you walked with God for any length of time, you know that life can still be difficult. Life can still be hard. We recognize that everything we've been calling to you to in this series really uh, occurs in the midst of a real world, and that world is, is full of the stains of sin. We recognize that even as followers of Jesus, we still have a sin nature, and that fights back when we try to pursue Jesus. We recognize that as followers of Jesus, we have an enemy, and he fights back whenever we try to pursue him. We live in a fallen world that is not yet all that God created it to be, and so that comes with hardship and difficulty. Reality is that it's often actually after a spiritual victory that the enemy attacks most. We tell people, Matt and I try to to warn people when they get baptized, that they need to be on the lookout for a greater degree of temptation and opposition. Why is that? Because they have just declared to the whole world, I am a follower of Jesus. They've stepped off of the sideline and into the battle. The enemy doesn't like that. He's not going to stand for that. He's going to try and sideline them again. He's going to do everything he can. And I think the same thing can happen when someone accepts Christ, when you, or maybe when you quit that habit that was really a harmful thing for your relationship with Jesus. Whenever you take any kind of significant next step in your walk with Jesus, I think the same thing can happen. The enemy wants to sideline you, wants to get you out of the battle. And so this morning, we're going to be talking about how do we deal with difficulty When we are following Jesus, how do we handle trials and temptations and and hardships when we're walking with God, when we're pursuing him? How do we deal with those things? And even if you're here and, and you're not a follower of Jesus, you still probably know that in life, sometimes you try to do the right thing and things still blow up in your face. 
You're trying to make the right decisions. You're trying to treat people right, but things still go wrong. So how can you respond in those moments? What I want to do this morning is is really prepare you for when those difficulties hit. I don't want you to be surprised, and I don't want you to be unprepared. And and the good news this morning is that God's Word actually has a lot to say about how we can respond in hardship, in difficulty, in trial. So if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, that's where we're going to be spending our time this morning. If you don't have a a copy of God's Word, we'd love to get you one at our our, uh, Next Steps table for free. And 1 Peter is written to believers who were really in the midst of terrible suffering and persecution because of their faith. They were going through a tough time, and it was not because they'd done something wrong. It was actually because they'd done something exactly right. They were following Jesus, and because of that, they were being persecuted for their faith. And so Peter writes this this letter to them to encourage them and to help them in the midst of that. And in the text we're going to look at this morning in chapter 4, he's going to give them four truths to remember, four truths that will help them as they go through difficulty and suffering. And I think these four truths can be anchors for you and I in the midst of those trials, in the midst of those difficulties. So let's start in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. So here's what Peter is saying. He's saying, when you encounter difficulty, I want you to remember these truths. He's going to give four of them to us. And the first one this morning is that following God does not make you immune to difficulty. It doesn't make you immune to difficulty. He tells us, Peter tells us, not to be surprised when we encounter trials as followers of Jesus. It's not something strange because we're actually following in the footsteps of Jesus. I mean, think about it. If we are followers of Jesus, we should be uh, like him and do what he did. And what, what did Jesus do? He did the right thing. And where did that get him? He was persecuted. He was rejected by many. And ultimately, he was killed for doing exactly what God called him to. And so when we uh, experience suffering as followers of Jesus, we actually get to participate in the sufferings of Christ. Peter says we shouldn't be surprised Following God does not remove all difficulty from our lives, but I do think it leads us into a better life. I believe with all my heart that life with Jesus is the best life ever. You will not find a life of joy, of peace, of contentment. You will not find the good life outside of Jesus. That yearning in your heart for the good life, it will only ever be met in a relationship with Jesus. And it is only Jesus who gives us uh, the ability to have joy in the midst of these trials and in the midst of these hardships. But following him doesn't, doesn't mean that we're just like magically removed from hardship and difficulty. It doesn't make us immune. That's one of the things I love about the Bible. It deals with reality. I love the honesty of God's word. I love that I don't have to ignore or try and deny or somehow excuse the realities of life as I follow Jesus. The Bible's not like some Hallmark movie that just pretends that everything is good in the end, right? We all know that's not reality until we get to heaven, right? We all know life can be difficult. 
And I love that I don't have to deny or ignore reality in order to follow Jesus. But here's what I've seen um, as we take steps toward Jesus, as we follow him, as we pursue greater obedience to him. We follow God, and, and then when that suffering comes, we can begin to think, maybe I did something wrong. Maybe, maybe God's out to get me. Maybe I'm being punished for, for doing something wrong. And here's what I want you to understand this morning. Difficulty does not equal disapproval. We have this up on the screen. Difficulty does not equal disapproval, and frustration does not mean failure. Just because you're going through something hard, something frustrating, does not mean that you messed up. It actually might mean you're doing exactly what you should be doing. Sometimes it's because we're following him that we have that frustration. And so my encouragement to you this morning as you go through whatever difficulty might be in your life today, I'm sure there's many that I know nothing about, to not assume that you've done something wrong just because there's something hard. Maybe, it's, maybe what you should ask yourself is, is, am I experiencing this opposition because I am actually doing exactly what I should be doing? And I know that mindset is hard to keep when you're going through something difficult. I'm an assistant junior high coach at Blue Ridge for soccer, and one of the things I try to help my, my students understand, my players understand, is that um, when they're experiencing pain at practice as they're running, it's not because they've done something wrong. It's not because they've messed up. It's not because um, the world is out to get them. There's nothing wrong. They should be in pain. This is practice. We're trying to get ready to run for like 80 minutes in a game. If you're ever going to make it in a game, you've got to be able to have that pain in practice that uh, gets your body strong, gets your body ready in order to be able to endure that game. And I think we understand that in exercise. I think we understand that in sports. But when it comes to spiritual things, for some reason, we think it's going to be different. We think that if we just walk with God, everything's going to be peachy and awesome. Everything's going to go as it should. We're not going to have hardship. We're not going to have difficulty or pain. But I love the, the reality of the Bible. It does not make us immune to difficulty. Let's keep reading and see what else Peter, how else he helps us here. Actually, going back to verse 13 again. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. So secondly, Peter's telling us that suffering might be a step up, not a setback. It might be a step up, and, and here's why. He says that really we uh, should rejoice in our sufferings. That as we suffer for the name of Jesus, we are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on us. So what does, that, what does that mean? I think what Peter's saying here is that when you suffer for God, you get a special uh, sense of, and, and really awareness of the presence of Jesus that you don't get outside of suffering. God comes near to you in a way in the, in the midst of suffering that it's just hard to describe. Here's what I think Peter is saying. There's something different about the presence of God in suffering. There's just something different. If you've ever walked through those valleys, you know this to be true. There's something different about the presence of God. We get to, I think, have even a little taste of the glories of heaven when we walk through suffering because we get to experience the presence of God in a new and an exciting way. And so when you suffer, it's actually a step up because you get to experience God like never 
before. But I think often we want to fight that difficulty and that suffering. At least I know I do. Maybe you're all a lot holier than I am. But I know that I often, when that difficulty comes into my life, I want to fight back. I pray for God to remove it. Uh, I, I try to work to remove it myself. I do whatever I can to get out of that pain, out of that discomfort. But you see, God loves us enough to leave us there. Because he knows that that suffering really ultimately is going to produce something for our good. He's working something in the middle of that. And he loves you enough to leave you there. As a coach, I love my students enough to leave them in the pain at practice so that they can be ready for the game. It's producing something good for them. I mean, think about it. What kind of coach would I be if I just, if as soon as they complained about the pain of having to run, I just said, oh, you know what? You've done enough. Let's go sit down and eat some donuts. Like, that, that's not going to help them in a game, is it? That's not going to help them win. That's not going to help them be ready for that game. God is the same way. But here's what we what we do sometimes in life, we hit that suffering and we give up. We quit. We stop doing the good things that we know we should be doing because we don't like that discomfort. Maybe we started serving at church, but all of a sudden our life gets really busy and we're like, you know what, I just I don't have time for that anymore. It's too, it's too difficult. Maybe we got baptized and all of a sudden everything in life seems difficult and so maybe we just walk away from church or, or we walk away from God altogether. And God has so much more and better for us, but we're not willing to endure that suffering in order to get it. And so if suffering is ever going to be a step up, we need to endure. Otherwise, it does become a setback because what we're doing is we're actually stepping back from all that God has for us. We don't maybe consciously say this, but we're like, you know what, God, I don't want a greater presence, a better understanding of your presence. I don't want the good that you're going to produce in my life and the life of others because of this suffering. I'm done. I've had enough. I don't want it. And when we do that, when we give up, it does become a setback because we've stepped back from all that God has for us. Let's keep reading to see what else Peter helps us with in verse 15. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. So third, I think what Peter is saying is that struggling isn't a license to sin. It is not a license to sin. He clarifies something really important for us. Sometimes life is hard because we've made it hard. Sometimes life is hard because we have sinned. We spend, uh, or we've just done something unwise. Maybe we spend more than we make, and so we're in debt. Maybe we are mean to people around us, and so we don't have very many close friends because people don't like us because we're mean to them. Maybe we haven't pursued physical health, and, and so we're tired, and we're in pain often. The list could go on, right? Sometimes life is, is difficult because we've made it that way. Well, Peter says we shouldn't use struggling as an excuse to sin. It should not be an excuse. And, and he says that we shouldn't suffer for being a, a murderer, a thief, or a criminal. I think, I think we know those three, right? Like, I think we understand that we shouldn't be killing people. I think we, I think we get that. I hope we get that. I um, hope we understand that. But then he goes on to say, or even as... A meddler. And, and the word that he uses there literally means one who oversees what belongs to someone else. Some, usually in our vernacular today, we might call them a busybody. We might call them a gossip. We might call them a nosy person, right? You all know who I'm talking about. Those people who always kind of have to just kind of stick their nose where it doesn't belong, when it has nothing to do with them. They want to oversee what belongs to somebody else. And Peter's saying we should not suffer as a meddler. They suffer often because they don't have many good relationships because nobody really likes someone who meddles in other people's business. 
And I think meddlers can be really particularly uh, harmful to the work of God in a community because they come across as, as nosy, as judgmental, as, as mean. And when they claim the name of Christ, they say that they're a Christian, what do people do? They're going to associate Jesus with those things. Right? They're going to associate Jesus with the negative uh, stuff of judgmental and nosy and critical. Sometimes I'll hear Christians say that they must be doing something right because nobody likes them, because people dislike them. They think that they're taking a stand for truth, and that must be why they're hated at work and why they're hated in their community. They think, you know, I must be being persecuted for my faith, but, but sometimes, sometimes, it's got more to do with how they treat other people. Sometimes, it's because they are a meddler. Sometimes, it's because they're mean to other people. They're critical. They're judgmental. And Peter's saying, that's not why you should be suffering. You should be suffering for the name of Christ, not because you didn't treat people well. Just because the gospel is offensive doesn't mean that we need to be. People are going to reject God, to reject the offer of salvation. We want it to be that they're actually rejecting God and not us because we got in the way of that message. We don't ever want to stand in the way of somebody accepting the gift of salvation. And so we should be people who are living in such a way that people would, would want, to, to, want to accept that gift salvation. This is really what Brett was talking about last week as he talked about investing in people, right? We should be loving on people, that we should be uh, helping them see the beauty of the gospel. We shouldn't suffer as a meddler. Let's keep reading in, in verse 16 to see how else Peter helps us. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So finally, here's what Peter is saying. Number four, suffering may produce opportunities for the gospel. It may produce opportunities for the gospel. He's saying that in the midst of our suffering, we're actually representing what we believe to a watching world. When, when we're not ashamed, but we actually praise God, when we have joy in the midst of trial, that, that is such a huge platform for the gospel. It's such a huge platform for the gospel to be made beautiful. And I'm not sure we, we realize what a, what a privilege it is to bear the name of Jesus. Verse 16 says that we get to praise God because we bear that name. Well, the name of Jesus is it's true. It's righteous. It's holy. It's good. It is loving. And apart from Jesus, none of us are really those things, are we? All of us have things in our life that would discount us from being those things. But the reality is, because of what Jesus has done for us, now we can be those things if we accept the offer of salvation. I think sometimes in, in life we can forget that Apart from Jesus, we were totally lost in our sin. We were hopeless to save ourselves. But in the midst of that, Jesus paid the penalty we deserved to pay. He died the death that we deserved to die, all so that we could have a restored relationship with Jesus. And what that means is now that if you're a follower of Jesus, when God looks at you, he no longer looks at your sin. He no longer looks at those past mistakes. He actually sees the righteousness of Jesus placed to your account. That's what it means to bear the name of Jesus. And so in the midst of trial, in the midst of hardship, in the midst of difficulty, we can rejoice because our greatest need, it's already been met. 
our greatest problem, it has already been solved. We are forgiven people. And so no matter what we face in life, it's, it's a lot smaller compared to the fact that now we're forgiven. Compared to the fact that now we actually can have a restored relationship with God. We get to be with him forever. Our greatest need has already been met. When we rejoice in suffering, the world around us notices that there's something different about those people. There is something different. You see how he says it, Peter says it earlier in his letter in chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to endure, may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So when we suffer, people around us can see that our faith is genuine. It's easy to claim the name of Jesus to say, yeah, I'm a Christian when things are going well in life. But when that trial hits, when that hardship hits, becomes a little bit more difficult. And so trials really have a a way of revealing what is true about our faith. Is it genuine? And so when we suffer, it gives us a huge platform to show the beauty of the gospel to a watching world. My grandma on my mom's side, she passed away recently and we had her funeral last month. My grandma was a really godly woman, and it was good to celebrate her life and just kind of mourn her passing with my family. And, and she asked that um, I be a part of her funeral, and so I got to, to share the gospel at my, my grandma's funeral, Privilege, one of the privileges of my life uh, to be able to do that. One of the things that came up a lot in her life and, and in her funeral is that uh, suffering may produce opportunities for the gospel. Because you see, my grandma, she, she suffered a lot. She had a really hard life. She lost a son when he was only three years old in a car accident. It's actually the uncle that I'm named after, David Lee. That was his name. That's where I got my name. She uh, lost her husband rather suddenly when she was only in her 40s. Then a few years later, um, she got remarried to a man that had three kids and had lost his wife. You can imagine how difficult it would try to be to bring together two families and try to mother three children who kind of resent you for trying to take the place of their mother. You can, you can imagine that kind of difficulty. Throughout their adult life, her, her kids had all kinds of struggles. And when you're a mom, you struggle when your kids struggle, right? Like you, you, bear, you bear some of that weight with them, no matter how old that they get. And not least of those was my father leaving my mother. I mean, imagine the, the pain of having to, to walk through your daughter getting divorced and becoming a single mom. Some of you don't have to imagine, unfortunately. Then about 12 years ago, my grandma lost her second husband. That was the grandpa that I actually got to know. Um, So that's now the second husband that she had loved and a really godly man that she had to say goodbye to. Then the last five years of her life, she had kidney failure and she had to have dialysis three times a week. Any of you know anyone who's on dialysis, you know that that's a very, very draining thing. My grandma went through a lot of trial and a lot of suffering. But what was so incredible about my grandma is that she pursued Jesus in the middle of all of that. We never once heard her complain about the hardships of kidney failure. She was kind, she was loving right up until the end. 
She was always there for her kids when they faced um, those trials to encourage them, to support them, to point them back to Jesus. And I'm so glad she was there for my mom. She did an awesome job of bringing those two families together into one. In fact, as one of the youngest grandkids, I knew nothing of two families from two husbands. I knew one family. I forget all the time which uncle and aunt was from which marriage, because to us, it was one family. It didn't matter. She endured and was patient in their pain. When those kids were, you know, resenting her in the middle of pain, I mean, they just lost their mom. That's difficult. She was patient. Instead of, you know, treating her biological kids with extra favor or, or treating the, the stepkids with meanness or whatever, she was, she was loving, she was patient, she was kind, and it paid off. It certainly paid off. We had one family. Today, I think there's 16 of us grandkids. I, I lose track. It's hard to count sometimes. Um, and there's like 13 great-grandkids. Uh, again, that's hard to keep track of. But there's like 16 of us great, uh, grandkids, and all of us know the truth of the gospel and got to see it lived out in grandma's life. And if you think about the, how many lives are touched by the 16 of us grandkids, my grandma's suffering literally is going to have an impact on hundreds, if not thousands, of people. There are people who are going to hear the truth of the gospel because of her response to suffering. Not only at her funeral, although that was true, there was quite a few people there, but also through the rest of our lives, those of us grandkids who've been impacted. If Bridgewater is ever impacted by, at all by my ministry, it is because a woman in Girard, Ohio, refused to give up on God. She refused to get bitter. She refused to use her suffering as an excuse uh, for sin or for uh, growing bitter or any of those things. She said, you know, I'm going to lean into Jesus in the middle of this. I wonder how different my life would be if she had not taken the opportunity that suffering presented her to make the gospel beautiful. I wonder how different my life would be. I don't think I'd, I'm not sure I'd be pursuing Jesus at all because my grandma passed on that same determination to pursue Jesus through hardship to my mom. And when my father left my mother, my mom also refused to get bitter. She refused to grow angry. She refused to, to, to abandon God. She said that Jesus is all we have in this. We are going to pursue him. When we didn't know how we were going to pay the next bill, when some other difficulty in life came, what my mom would always say to us, simple phrase, God's got this. That was, all, that was it. That was her simple, faith-filled phrase. And it brought us back like an anchor in the midst of a storm to the reality of God's care and God's love for us in the midst of that storm. My mom and my grandma both have been amazing examples to me of how suffering can produce opportunities for the gospel. So what are we supposed to do when we go through difficulty as we're following Jesus? How can we respond? Well, Peter actually answers that for us in the next verse, verse 19. So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. So here's what Peter is saying. Even when things get difficult, commit yourself to God and keep doing good. Don't give up. Don't get discouraged. Don't assume that just because something is difficult, that means you're doing something wrong. Keep pursuing Jesus in the middle of that difficulty. Follow the example of my grandma who, who saw her suffering as an opportunity to make the gospel beautiful. God has not forgotten you in your suffering. He has not made a mistake. 
He knows where you are, and he knows what he is doing. I know that it hurts. I know you don't always understand what's going on. You don't always have the answers to all of the questions. But what can I, I can promise you is that God is good, and he does what is good, and he is up to something good in your life. You may not get all the answers you want. The pain might not go away. I can't promise that. But in the midst of it, you get to experience the presence of God in a special way that you've never seen in your whole life. And you get to make the gospel clear and the gospel beautiful in your response to suffering. Suffering can produce opportunities for the gospel. God will not waste your pain if you will lean into him in the middle of that. So in your suffering, in your hardship, in your trials, Commit yourself to God. Trust him. He knows what he's doing. And keep doing good. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it's honest. It deals with reality. Thank you that we don't have to try and deny or ignore or excuse away things in life in order to follow you, but we can live totally in reality, totally in honesty. Father, we thank you that you are there for us in the midst of every single storm. That you've not forgotten us, you've not abandoned us, that you actually have a purpose for that storm. Maybe, maybe we don't know what it is right now, and, and maybe we'll, we'll never get all the answers, but we know that you are good, and you do what is good. Father, we thank you for the example you've given us in your word of so many who faithfully followed you through whatever it was in life. Thank you for the counsel of your word that tells us how we can respond in suffering. And Father, I, I'm sure there are pains in this room that I know nothing about. Father, I'm sure there is suffering and struggle and hardship in this room that is unspeakable. And Father, I pray that today you would be real to them in a way you have never been. Father, I pray that you would be their peace that you would be their strength, that they would run to you instead of from you. They'd realize that you are up to something good, even if we can't see it yet. Father, I pray that you would be a comfort to them in the midst of whatever they might face. Father, we thank you that because of what Jesus has done for us, because of his sacrifice, we can face anything in life with joy. Not a fake happiness, not a pasted on smile, but a genuine joy knowing that our greatest need has already been solved. You have already forgiven our sin and we get to experience life with you. Thank you so much for the sacrifice of Jesus that changes everything. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.